I'm driving all the way to this corporate IT office. It's all decked out. And then I wait and I sit there all day for eight hours and then I'm allowed to go home. But then I woke up the next morning and I did it again. And then I woke up the next morning and I did it again. <laughs> and very quickly within like a week, I realized that this was not, this was not gonna be it. And I'll never forget, like held that shack in my hands. It's like, whoa, like I just use a skill that I developed doing something that I really enjoy doing and turn that into money without needing any sort of job to be able to do that. And that was like the first moment that I like realized that, hey, I can actually maybe build skills and use those to make money without needing to be in school, without needing a traditional job. All right, what's going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Remote Closing Academy podcast. And I don't know if those snippets hyped you up as much as it did me just listening them back, but uh, guys, I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this episode. Uh, this person we're talking to is he went from, I mean, being in college, right, getting a really, really good internship and making the decision of like, do I continue to do that? Or do I go out and do my own thing knowing that I'm going to really achieve the goals that I want to by doing that despite the discomfort? So if any of you that are listening to this have ever felt that way in any way, shape or form, trick question, if you're in this entrepreneurial mindset, it's basically inevitable. So we talk a lot about that, his journey through the entire process and how he was able to go from a struggling agency owner all the way up to one of the best closers on the RCA team, which is no, it's no easy feat to take, uh, take control of. So with all that being said, I can keep rambling on and on, but make sure to sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Without further ado, we're going to talk about a ton of stuff in this episode. So first of all, John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Aaron. It's a privilege to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, man, I'm really excited. So John um, is actually a closer on the RCA team. And just so everyone listening um, knows, you know, the majority, if you've listened for a while, the majority of these podcasts is we do kind of like success stories with people within RCA. And every about five to six episodes, we want to bring someone from the team who is like actively every single day living and breathing remote closing and sales just to bring in, obviously learn more about them and their story, but also just like the tactical of like, what can someone do on a day-to-day basis to get better at being remote closers and setters. So uh, before we jump too deep into all that stuff, just how we usually do, you know, let's rewind the clocks back, back before, you know, did you go to college? Like, what'd you do for school? Like before all the sales stuff, who was John? Yeah, so we're going back, back. Yes, um, so yeah, like my whole journey, I guess I would say started through through high school. Um, I did pretty well in school. I was super involved in a lot of our IT clubs. And like, I ran out a lot of them actually and led them in school. And I was in all the web development classes and IT classes. And I got super hyper involved in that. And I was just hooked. Like that was the path I was pursuing. It's what I was going to do through high school. It's what I was going to go to college for. Uh, like my dad's a software engineer. So that's the path I was sort of replicating as well. And I remember one day uh, I, I rebuilt a website for our school club. And out of the blue, like two days later, I got an email. One of my buddies, his dad emailed me just in my school email. And he's like, hey, mm-hmm. I saw this website that you built for this club. I actually run a business and I need a new website too. I want you to build it for me. I'm like, cool. Okay, that'll be fun. So <laughs> I, I don't forget this, man. I built this website. Like I was meeting with him in person. I like built it all out. Um, I, we met multiple times and reviewed it and made adjustments. And then I delivered the thing. And I was like, awesome. That was super fun. Here it is. And he's like, all right, John, how much do I owe you? Oh, snap. So you, <laughs> didn't, even, like, you didn't even like, you expected to do it just pro bono. Yeah. I was just having fun, man. And I was like, <laughs> well, I don't know what to say. Like, how do I answer that question? And yeah. he wrote me a check for like 1200 bucks. And I'll never forget, like held that shack in my hands. Nice. It's like, whoa. Like I just use a skill that I developed doing something that I really enjoy doing 
and turn that into money without needing any sort of job to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And that was like the first moment that I like realized that, hey, I can actually maybe build skills and use those to make money without needing to be in school, without needing a traditional job. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where everything sort of clicked for me. And I got really, really hooked on that feeling and like a lot of learning. Like I was, I was going home after school and like learning how to write code and build websites instead of hopping on Xbox. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that turned into a lot of different things I started doing for money. Like my buddy and I would flip fidget spinners and we'd go to like flea markets and like upsell fidget spinners to people. And we'd oh, sell. Oh man. Well, when, when was the fidget spinner like era? That was oh, like what, 2015, 2016. Yeah. <laughs> around then. yeah, it's gotta be then. But like I would keep score at like youth basketball games and yeah, yeah. I had like minimum wage jobs. I, I would like sit there all day, all day and peel stickers off of like barcode sticker sheets Huh. Stick with toy cars like all day long, all day, every day. And I walk yeah. home, my fingers would be bleeding. Um, I would shoot like videos for local musicians and different companies. Like I was just doing like anything I possibly could at that point to just learn how to make money, how to use skills and things that I could go leverage to be able to turn it into money all mm-hmm. through school. And I transitioned then from graduating high school and I got an opportunity actually to take a big time corporate IT internship right out of mm-hmm. high school. And that was like a big moment for me. It was like, whoa, okay, cool. Like we're, we're rocking here. Like this is everything I've been working towards. Yeah. And everybody around me is like, wow, John, that's so awesome. Like not many people get that kind of opportunity. They're all gassing me up about it. Um, and I took it and it was cool at first. It's like, I get to wake up early. Like I'm driving all the way to this corporate IT office. It's all decked out. I walk in, yeah. I like learn how to clock in. Um, and then I wait and I sit there all day for eight hours, go through orientation. And then I'm allowed to go home. I was like, okay, cool. But then I woke up the next morning and I did it again. And then I woke up the next morning and I did it again. And then I woke up the next morning and did it again. Yeah. 45 minutes to an hour commute there and back through traffic on the highway. And very quickly, within like a week, I realized that this was not, this was not going to be it. Yeah. And all that excitement at first turned into like, oh, geez, like where is this going? And I would look around at these people in their 50s, 60s sitting in the office and been there for decades. And I'm like... I became terrified of becoming that. Like I, I did not want that to become my life. And it was very much a moment where I realized that the things that I thought I was supposed to want out of my life weren't actually the things that I truly did want. And I feel like a lot of people experience that at a certain point, but it was an earth shattering moment to me. And I'm very fortunate that I realized that so early on, because this was between my freshman year of college and sophomore year of high school. Um, and then that transition into going to college then. And I questioned everything about what I was doing. I was getting a corporate IT degree to go do that. I ended up changing my degree. I started going to school. Hmm. Um, and I did well there too, but I, my head just wasn't in it. Like I was no longer engaged the same way. It's like I not only learned that I could use my skills to make money, but I also learned that the path that I was on wasn't really going to lead me to where I wanted to go. Yeah. And I'll never forget, like I had this journal entry where I listed out three things that I truly valued and wanted out of my life more than anything else. The first was location freedom. Never wanted to be in an office, never want to have to commute somewhere, drive an hour in traffic to be in an office. I want to be anywhere in the world and be able to make money. Two is time freedom to work on my own hours. I don't want to have to clock in at a certain time. I don't want to be told when I'm allowed to leave. Like I can manage my own time effectively and produce. And number three was financial independence in the sense that I could be paid based on the value that I actually produce. Never having a set salary or hourly rate where I'm trading time for money. 
If I do well in Excel, I deserve to be compensated for it. If I suck and I'm not performing, then I don't deserve to be paid. That's the kind of compensation that I wanted. Yeah. And I looked at those three things and I said, okay, cool. Like what in this world of like college and pursuing a W2, W2 employment career can give me those three things? And tell me if you know of any, Aaron, but like I couldn't find them. Yeah, it'd be hard to, hard to find. <laughs> so that's when things like really became serious because it, that was the moment where I realized that I had to actually go a different path. Like there wasn't an mm-hmm. alternative option. And then like probably a lot of people who watch this podcast, I just got hooked into everything popping up on my newsfeed and ads. Yep. It was, I was on every email list. I clicked on every ad. I watched every webinar. Um, I started an affiliate marketing business. I started a drop shipping business. I almost got into Amazon FBA, network marketing. Mm-hmm. There's videos of me out there five, six, seven years ago, like posting YouTube videos out of my parents' basement, (laughs) trying to be a YouTuber. Like, man, I did it all. Um, And I realized I whittled it down to like wanting to start a marketing agency. And I had the opportunity to invest a lot of money into a coaching program then Mm -hmm. to start a marketing agency. And this was coming off of investing in like five or six, probably 1K, $500, 2K courses. Hmm. Where I would just show up, get some training videos, a pat on the back and told good luck. And I'd be like, what the heck am I supposed to do with that? It's like, I'm a 19 year old kid. I have no idea where I'm going and what I'm doing. I have no support. So I just failed every time. And I realized the value of investing in coaching instead of just a course at that stage. So I reached out and I'm ready to buy this, this coaching program. But I had nowhere near the amount of money for it because at that point I was pretty broke. And it was really frustrating and I had to figure out how to make it happen. And I went to my friends. I'm like, hey, I'm looking at this program. And like for that business, it was going to be probably 14K all in. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what should I do? They're like, oh, don't do it. It's a scam. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. So then I went to like some of my adults in my life that I maybe looked up to and wanted to seek some counsel from. And they're like, oh, don't do it. It's a scam. They're going to take your money. Same yep. thing. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to my entrepreneurship professor at my university, and I'm going to go talk to him and see what he has to say. You know what he told me? You want to guess? He said, "Invest in the skills, invest in the people, and don't listen to people that don't listen to people that aren't to where you want to be." Nope. Oh, did he say it was a scam too? Yep. Oh, he's your professor. Yeah, so I assumed that. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, and that Goodness. was a weird moment. See, that's what I thought he was going to say. And it was a really interesting moment for me again at that point because that was the moment that I really internalized that like up until that point in my life, I constantly would shell out the guidance and authority of making decisions in my life to people that I looked up to or people in other positions of perceived authority, Mm -hmm. whether it's parents, mentor figures, teachers, coaches, professors, and nobody gave me the answer that I really wanted. So in that moment, like I had to realize that if I'm going to make decisions to propel my life forward... It needs to be able to come from me and I need to be able to take charge to know what's best in my own life for myself and not seek that counsel anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And I went to that company. I was like, hey, I don't have a lot of money. I can't afford this thing. Here's the money in my bank account. Here's the money for the program. It was like here versus here. And yeah. I'm like, I will literally give you every dollar I have. You give me a shot and I'm going to show up and I'm going to perform and I'm going to pay this off. And they let me do it. I actually just looked at it the other day. I have a, a video that I took of me like with the invoice pulled up on my screen. I'm like, this is the start of a new beginning. And I press pay and my bank account goes to zero dollars. And at the same time, I had a return letter in my inbox to go back and intern another summer at that company. Mm. 
That's something that I missed earlier. So it was a decision that I was weighing. Do I return to that internship for the next three summers? Guaranteed job out of college then, job security, salary benefits, the whole nine yards, or literally drain my bank account to zero dollars and go all in on trying to start this company. And that's what I did. And it was wild, man, because at that point, success was the only option. It didn't matter how long it took. It didn't matter how hard it was going to be. It didn't matter that I was dead broke. Like, I was committed. I had flipped the switch and then broke it. Mm-hmm. That was it. While I'm a full-time student as well. So long story short, like, I'll, I'll try to get through this pretty quickly then. I struggled big time. I sucked, man. There are some things I was really good at and there's things I really sucked at. So like with a business like that, you got to learn a lot. Like, you know, this probably better than a lot of people. It's like not only just creating the company and finding what industry you're going to pursue, but then it's going out there and generating interest and know what services you're going to offer and then set the appointments and then take the calls and then close the deals and onboarding and then setting up campaigns and then fulfilling and then client relationship management and check-in calls and sending reports and billing and operations and hiring a team and all these different things. There's a hundred skills. And if you're mediocre at one, then you have a mediocre business. And what I was really good at was setting sales calls. I loved it. I could go out there and my LinkedIn was popping off. I was taking probably 30 sales calls a week on top of being a full-time student living mm-hmm. on campus. Um, and I didn't close any of them. So guys, like I want you to understand because this is obviously about remote closing. And Aaron, I don't know if you know this or not, but like sales was my kryptonite. I could not communicate. I was like an IT guy. Mm-hmm. I love working on a computer. I could not communicate effectively. It took me 126 scheduled live sales calls, not cold calls, like scheduled appointments, show up like this on a Zoom call, go through an offer, try to close the deal and be told no. 126 in a row mm. before I ever closed my first role paying call. You had, you had me beat because it's funny. I used to tell um, when I was a coach in, in one of the last you know programs that we, we were both a part of um, – I used to tell the story all the time of people would like jump on sales calls and like they would do some prospecting or whatever. And, uh, my record was, it was 42. So I took 42 sales calls without closing any of them. And then it, you know, ended up the, the 43rd one was like a 15 K like upfront SEO deal. I didn't know how to fulfill SEO. I was going to figure it out after the fact, but you know, that's how the, <laughs> that's how the marketing, the digital marketing space usually is. But, yeah. um, so and we'll, I we'll, about it because I was like, dude, by call like 110, like, Statistically, it should be yeah. impossible. By that point, <laughs> somebody averages. credit card out and like put it up to the screen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was that last one like a? Was it like a? Uh, was it easy to close or like did you have to no. like push them in? Okay. Okay, <laughs> so it's <was> still hard. <laughs> Do you remember like? I'm sure you remember like the price point and like just everything about them. Sure. Yeah. So it was 5k retainer with like 3,500 ad spend. So it was like an $8,500 a month contract. Mm. Pretty decent deal. Yeah. That was, I mean, that's a, that's a decent one for, you know, a first, a first close. Were you, were you like always pitching that, that price point? Yeah. 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 So that, 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 that maybe that's why <laughs> as well yeah. after well when I was doing the calls too, I was like, you know, a lot of programs were like 1500 a month and like whatever an ad spend. So I was like, well, let me just start like, I'll start there, right? I, at, a, at a certain point, I even brought it lower. So yeah, I think the first. Yeah. So to be fair, I didn't make it easy on myself, but like you learn a lot then by being told no yeah. so many times. And looking back, it's like, would I have taken that same strategy? No. Would I have closed people a lot faster 
If I took a different strategy, yeah. Mm. Like the amount that I learned through getting rejected 127 times, probably 200 plus scheduled appointments, I've already guessed, like you pick up a couple of things. And it's cool mm. because once it started working, it made it so much more rewarding. And that's really where I found my love of sales and consulting and being able to work with people. And as I grew that agency, it took me about six months to clear my first $10,000 a month. I was doing about 14K in recurring revenue at one point in the business. Um, but I just I hated it, to be honest. Like, mm-hmm. it was super stressful. I was working so, so much. Like, it was hard to deliver for clients month after month after month. Mm-hmm. And the sales was the only part that I really loved doing. So ironically enough, I booked a call with another coaching company to try to help me solve some of these other problems. And this is probably five years ago at this point. And the guy that was on the call with me was Mr. Cole Gordon. Mm. So this is back when he was a remote yeah. himself in the industry before this company existed. And that's how I met him. And again, I couldn't buy that program because I was broke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I remember walking off that call and I was just taken aback. I was like, wow, that was a powerful call. Like, what is that guy doing? Like, yeah. He's not running this business. He's not doing all the cold calls. Like he's just taking Zoom calls. And that's kind of how I discovered remote closing. And then Cole, shortly after, we kept in touch. He started releasing his sales training for the first time. So I was one of the first people to ever consume his sales training content. I remember the day that he signed his first business-to-business clients in this business, this company. Mm-hmm. And I watched him build the whole thing from scratch, broke into the industry, became a remote closer, jumped to different offers over the years. And as they say, the rest is history kind of. Yeah. Me. Yeah. Found I mean, it. Back. No, that's a, it's such a good story. And like, there's so many, there's so many little, little and big things that I think a lot of people can like take from that. And, and a couple of just like follow up. So like you, that I think people will get value out of. So you said your, your dad was like in it and like, that's kind of how you kind of like jumped in that industry. Right. So what, what was hit? Like, was he one of the people when you, when you decided to like start, you know, start doing more of the, like your own thing and investing in these programs? Like, was he like, how, what was his overall like thought about that? Yeah, my parents definitely weren't on board at first. Um, yeah. I mean, when you go to them, you're like, hey, I got this idea to like give this guy on the internet 10 grand. It's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, but they, they just didn't really know much about the space, right? And what I tell a lot of people, because a lot of people deal with the issue of having immense support from their parents, is like they're mm. just trying to look out for you and do what's in your best interest and make sure that you're not doing anything stupid. Mm. Um, so, like, they struggled with it at first because they didn't really know what it was I was getting into. But I, I needed to make the decision on my own. Like, it's my career, it's my money. I was going to take the leap. Um, but looking back now, like, I was actually talking about him with this a few weeks ago. And looking back now, it's like the, the amount of, like, respect that I have from them and how proud they are of, like, what I've been yeah. able to grow this into is just incredible to be able to see. So, mm-hmm. like, you just got to you gotta understand that people are looking out for you and they don't want you to do dumb things. And when you do things that are not normal and standard, especially when you're already on a path and succeeding at it and you want to branch off from that, like anybody would be like, dude, what are you doing? Like reevaluate for a second because they just want to make sure that you're you know, not doing something. Yeah. Dumb. Yeah, man, that, that gave me chills a second because like it's literally the same thing with my with my dad. Like he uh, he was in the military for like 40 years. So like coming from, you know, going to school and like knowing that like he's like college at 18 or you're out, you know, type thing. And obviously, you know, he they say that to scary, but he didn't kick me out when I was 18. But I was like working in a restaurant and I was like doing this YouTube stuff. And, you know, even to this day, like uh, kind of the same thing. He kind of understands what I do. But like I also just tell him that I like make videos and, you know, do some sales stuff on, on the Internet. And he's like, all right, cool. And he sees, you know, we're doing well. So it's not he doesn't go too much deeper in that. Um, you know, back to what you were saying about just taking, you know, the hundred plus calls 
Uh, I think a lot of people, whether they're starting their own business, you know, they're they're starting an Amazon FBA store, maybe they launched the first couple of products and they all flop or, um, you know, they are starting their own marketing agency and they do 10, 15, 20, 30 calls and they're like, is this ever going to work? Like what, what was the thing for you that kept you going through all of that through 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 100 like what, yeah. what helped you through the whole thing? I mean, this is, this is why, I mean, if I were to like pinpoint one thing that made me successful, if we want to call it that, like I'm still only at like level 2.4 out of hundreds, but like, if there's one thing I can look back on and attribute, it's just that it didn't matter. That number like did not matter in my brain. That number could have been a thousand. Like mm. I would still be taking calls right now. <laughs> like, yeah. It just didn't make a difference. Like, cause I had no expectation. Like I didn't put some arbitrary number on it. Like. I didn't need to have success overnight. Um, like I was just looking back as, as you saw it, the video that I put on my Facebook of me, what, seven years ago, was it? Mm-hmm. When I was doing or five years ago when I was doing all this. Like I was telling myself, like, I don't need to sign a client for the next two years. As long as I do it within that time frame and get one person to pay me money in the next two years, I consider that a win. Mm-hmm. So I just set the expectations so low and was focused on the process, not the outcome to such an extreme degree that I just had the ability to, to follow through because I, when everyone's like, okay, I need to make X number of dollars by X day. And then they don't, then all of a sudden that makes you a failure. Yeah. Right. And there was none of that for me. It's that I know, I knew I wanted to build the skills and I needed the experience and I cared about it so much long term that it didn't matter how, how long it took to get there. That's how I looked at the investment as well. It's like, it's a lot of money. I've never seen that kind of money in my life before, but I want to make millions and millions and millions of dollars over the course of my career and the grand scheme of things with the ambition and drive that I have and what I want to do with my life. Like this is nothing. It's a drop in the bucket. So it's always just big picture thinking that carries me through times like that. And that's easier said than done, but that's how yeah. I did. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was always going to ask like, you know what? Okay. So now we're in the mindset of like, okay, cool. We got to take a step back, take a step back and focus more on the process. How do you do that for someone that like, you know, I think for you, like maybe something that helped was that you had like, maybe not saying like a plan B, but you're like, okay, I have this skill set where like eventually I'm going to make money. But for someone that's like brand new, has no experience, like how do you, and maybe they have other stuff going on, right? Maybe they have kids, maybe they are in extreme debt, right? Other things like how do you, what do you usually suggest for people to like how to trust like the process and work on the process? Yeah. Well, I'll say there's a couple of things. Like one is you need to be in a position where you can have the opportunity to screw up and buy yourself time. Mm -hmm. Because I was very much, you could say, privileged in that aspect. It's like, I was a college student. Like, if I didn't make money for two months or two years, like, I would have still been okay. Yeah, yeah. But there are people that aren't in that position. And what I would say to those people is, like, you need to find an avenue that, uh, or put yourself in a position where you can have the grace to screw up and take time to be able to succeed. Otherwise, if you're racing against a clock that's impossible to beat, then you're setting yourself up for failure. Mm. So step one is you can't set yourself up for failure. And for a lot of people, that might mean you need to take a step back and like get an extra job or save some money and stash some money away to be able to be in a position where you are more likely to be able to succeed and not have that pressure. Um, but the other thing for me that really helped me carry on on that is that like I was just so invested. right? Like I, I didn't really talk about this much, but me making that decision – was not easy. That was the hardest thing I had done in my entire life up mm. to that point, right? I drained my bank account to zero. The money that I was talking about earlier, I did all these odd jobs and like careers and minimum wage positions just to build up this little piggy bank, 
over years and years yeah. and years of my life and I drained it all for this. And like that gave me such a high commitment level that like I was so determined to make it work that it didn't matter. Like I was all in. Like I, I flipped mm -hmm. the switch, like I said, and I broke it. And that was a big reason why. The commitment level was just there. I wanted it more than most people usually want it. So like if you really, really, really want it, you're gonna freaking get it. And the final thing I'll add to that is that I was in a space where my commitment and work ethic was tied to my ability to get the result. And there's a lot of other models out there where you're very much reliant on like a third party platform or you're reliant on a product being hot and gonna be ready to pop off at the perfect time. Yeah. And no matter how hard you work and how focused you are, like it's, it's just a matter of, is it gonna work? It's out of your control. So the other thing I would add is find an industry and a skill and a path to follow where your work ethic and commitment and skill set can be directly tied to the results you're gonna see because it gives you the control mm -hmm. You're not relinquishing it to some third party or some magical product in the market or whatever yeah. else. Yeah, dude, I, I I agree on a lot of that stuff, and I think you know back to what you said of you know you you were doing a lot of these things and you were like you know all these odd jobs, and I think what probably helped that a ton too was like you created that that association in your head of like okay, I did this action and then this is what I got out of it, and you did that so many times you built up like that own like internal confidence and conviction of like I just got to do the things that like these mentors or whoever are telling me to do and it's going to happen regardless you know so I th that's i mean that's one thing that's helped me a ton too like i've just made like i started making youtube videos when i was 12 you know and it's like i just know you know a lot of people are focused on the metrics of like i made like 10 videos and i'm not you know a, a million subscribers yet and it's like well make a thousand more you know you just got to learn the you know the ins and yeah. outs of all that stuff so let's uh that helps a lot yeah when there's other people that are actually successful doing mm -hmm. it and you know that if you just do the same things you're there doing, then you're going to get mm -hmm. there as well. That yeah, and get better sure. like at every single one, right? Every single call you make, you're getting better. Every single video you make, you're getting better in doing that. So let's take a – now let's leap forward back to, you know, the, so you, you go through the, the sales mentorship sure. program. Um, what is like – what's the beginning of your like official remote closing sales career? Yeah, it was actually really – man, it's crazy looking back because it was a totally different landscape mm -hmm. back then. Like at that point, it was kind of more of the wild yeah. west still. And I had this opportunity. I just saw this guy post. Uh, he was one of my mentors back in the day. He's like, hey, we're hiring for mm -hmm. this position. And it was very much like a what do I have to lose type feeling. Threw my hat in the ring. I end up on a call. I'm thrown like in a role play as a guy who like kind of sucks at sales. I kind of figured a few things out. At that point, my agency was doing fairly well. It was more just I couldn't sustain mm -hmm. it. And like five hours later, I get an offer to join this team as a closer nice and i didn't even really know about re what remote closing was besides like my conversation mm -hmm. with cole you know and i was on that sales call before and i was like whoa like what am i getting into and i found myself then showing up on the sales meeting the next day or two days later i get on board in this team and i'm like surrounded by vets like people that have been in sales for years and i'm this little 19 year old <laughs> kid who's like just learning the space yeah. and it was super intimidating but like that's where things really, really turned up a notch because I got to see what mastery mm -hmm. looked like and I got to replicate it and I got to be mentored by it. And very, very quickly, like gears started turning and I had a lot of success right out the gate. Because um, at that point, like when you're in the right environment with the right product and the right marketing and the right training to back you, when all that was kind of lacking in my own business, it's like you're kind of bound to have more success. Mm -hmm. and how can you not? Um, so I think like my first month ever remote closing, I cleared about $7,200. Damn. 
There you um, go. While I was a full-time student, while I was still running. So what? Okay. So how many calls do you think you were taking like on a, on a daily? Uh, four to five. Okay. Dude, that's, that's pretty hefty for like full-time, full-time student agency. But I mean, I think that just goes back to like, if you, if you know, you want something, you're like going to find the time and not make the excuse of like, Oh, I don't have time. Oh dude, I was like a full-time student for two and a half, three years while I was starting my remote closing Mm. career. And I had other projects that I was doing on top of that. Like I went through a season of life where that it was just my head's going down. I'm going to perfect this craft and I'm going to work extremely hard and sacrifice other areas of my life in order to set myself mm. up for the life that I want to live. And that's what it was for years. Yeah. So you're on that current offer and you're, you know, you're doing you know, pretty well. Your first month you did 7,200. What happens after that? Um, exceeded that the next month. And then exceeded that again the third month. I'm pretty sure I should go back and look, but I'm pretty sure month three I cleared 10K. Mm-hmm. The next month, like three grand. Oh, yeah, way down. Plummeting. Kind of like the plane that's in the background. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, no, it's, it's, uh, it just looks very tiny bit. It's, it's it, you know, muffling yeah. it a lot. Um, so, anyway, what happened then is it crashed. I'm like, oh, geez. Mm. Like, what's going on? Like, it was the first time I experienced a dip in performance like that. And I remember then I got on. So at this point, I'm living in my parents' basement Mm. back home from school. Um, And I get on this call with my boss, the the CEO of the offer. He's like, dude, John, you got to level with me, man. He's like, you're trying to sell my offer. Performance is going down. You're a full-time student. You're running a marketing agency. And you're living in your parents' basement like this isn't gonna work like something's got to give i don't care if it's my it's selling for me or it's your agency or it's a school or what but you got to reevaluate your priorities and decide Mm. it's gonna go so at that point i shut down my agency shortly after just viability made no sense like i'm tying up all this time there and energy and effort when it could go to closing just move by move beyond that or move on from that which is really really hard it's such an emotional attachment to that um, but like, I'm sure you understand that part. Then I, I end that call, shut my zoom and I have an hour until my next sales call. I hop in my car and I drive to the nicest apartment complex in my town. Literally right off that call. I tour the place. I'm like, cool. This looks great. She's like, well, you can't, you can't get the unit. Like, yeah. you don't have a job. like you're not- <laughs> what's a remote like, closer. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to be back. So when I drive back home, I take my four sales calls for the day. They're still open. And after my last call, I drive back over to that apartment complex, show her my pay stubs, show her my bank account, talk her into it, signed a lease. That nice. Day. Moved out. The next month, performance shot up big time. I was so much more focused. I had my own space and um, everything shifted after that. I finally got in like a really, really good groove. I learned a lot of really valuable lessons um, and I was back in the saddle. Nice. And does that bring us, that brings us into the transition into, so when, when do you make the transition to the RCA team? Oh, this, this is still, Oh really? That. Okay. So this uh, wasn't even the, the, yeah. the previous offer that I know you from. Oh, okay. No. So what was the next one? Was that the next one or was there more? Then, <laughs> yeah. So then I leave that offer and I went and sold an Amazon FBA uh-huh. offer. So that was an agency growth offer. Then it was uh, an Amazon FBA offer. And that was really cool. I learned a lot about that. That was like a massive team. There were like 50 plus reps mm. on that team. Those were some crazy sales meetings. Um, and I was coming from like a four closer team. 
And then I transitioned from that into the offer with you. So I saw Cole made a post. And so Cole and I have been in touch for a while at this point. He's like, hey, we're looking to hire closers. And I shot him a message, and he connected me with somebody else from the team. And then uh, that person connected me with Brian. Nice. And I hop on a call with Brian. He's like, yeah, we're looking to hire closers. He's like, oh, you sold that offer? It was a competitor of his. And literally five minutes in on the spot, Brian hired me on to sell for his offer. Nice. And then that's when I met you. And I met a lot of other people now um, in the ecosystem. So when I sold that offer for, I don't know, probably a good year and a half. Um, transitioned out of that to sell an e-commerce uh, marketing oh, that's right. yep, yep. growth <laughs> offer. It's a $50,000 mastermind and then a couple of lower tickets as well, which that was cool. Like it's pretty cool to sell a 50K mm-hmm. offer. Uh, and then I got the call from Brian again after he'd been working with Cole for a little bit and then came on to work with Cole. And at that point, that's probably yeah. about 18 months ago. So the, cause I think that's pretty unique with the, with a 50 K offer. Cause I think the, the majority of the people that we've had on the podcast, uh, there's no, actually no, um, one, no, maybe two people were, were selling like 20 to 50 K, but those were like back end offers. So what was your experience in, in that? Like, and we can talk culture, like, was it the same commission structure? Like what just, we'll, we'll talk about that one. Cause I think it's unique. Yeah, it's 10%. So, like, if I got a piffy 50K, it's, like, 5K commission nice. check. Boom. Um, but they also did installments. So, like, a lot of them would be month-to-month recurring. So, like, the cool part about that is that all these recurring commissions mm-hmm. would stack. So, like, the first of every month, it'd be, like, boom, big check hitting. Um, and they also had lower ticket offers because not everybody could qualify for yeah. the 50K. And it was cool because, like, the, the person I sold for, he had a pretty leveraged, like, personality brand. Um, so people who showed up, like they were pretty bought exactly. into knowing they wanted the mastermind. Um, but if they didn't, then we had like a 10K and like a 4K, like lower ticket for people getting started in the space. So we could sell depending on what they needed on those calls. And that was pretty cool to learn that process mm-hmm. as well. Um, but culture wise, I mean, it was pretty standard. Just like there wasn't anything outrageously different than any other team. Uh, volume is a little bit lower though, right? So if you're going to sell that big of an offer, there's not going to be as many yeah. people. So you're getting larger commissions, but you're just taking less mm-hmm. calls. Was it so that whole span? Like that was probably about two, three years of like going to offer different yeah. offers within the within the fifty k one. Was it like what was your like top like commissions in in a month? Oh, not as much really? as you think. Uh, I think my biggest commission month there was only like twelve k. Okay. Yeah, because because with the so that's actually a really good point because um, a lot of people. At least, you know, with the on in the YouTube comments and stuff, we'll say like, you know, is it beneficial to sell like a, a higher ticket or lower ticket? And like you would think, yeah, fifty k offer, but like you said, like volume is way less because the clientele, like the clientele, are way fewer and far in between. Yeah. Uh, and here's the other thing: is it, it would have grown because like I, there were a lot of people that would do installments over a year, and those would have com- compounded. But I was only there, I think, two or three months mm-hmm. before I, I yeah. walked away. And then from there, you jump into RCA. Yeah, and that's where things really <laughs> yeah, cranked up. Yeah. yeah. So okay, let's let's talk about that. We're at we're in the RCA spot. So you jump into the team, and so you, remind me, how long have you been on the RCA team? Is it uh, about eighteen months, maybe a little less? Yeah, because I think we yeah, almost joined around the same time. I think maybe me, maybe a little bit before you, maybe. Um, it might have been like August. Yeah. Well, I know, like I was, I was kind of like part-time for like a, a good amount of time then cole finally he's like hey like come on more full-time um so what was your, your experience jumping into that like you know because even at the time too rca was still kind of getting ramped up in terms of um like the sales team and stuff so you kind of got in like the perfect pocket so i guess just overall like first experiences like what was the ramp like 
<laughs> so it was really hard because like I got this call from Brian. He's like, dude, you looking for an opportunity? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when Brian reaches out, yeah, it's always something. It's <laughs> like, you can't say no to Brian and Cole, exactly. you know, it's like, and I had been seeing like what you guys were doing and building, but like I, the first month and a half I was on this offer, I became the top rep on mm. the team. I'm like, I'm riding high here. Like I'm, I feel like I'm crushing it. Like, I don't know if I'm looking for anything to change. Um, and I was also a little bit intimidated of like how intense it was mm. going to be. Cause like I knew the caliber of people in the, in the company and I was scared about that. So like literally I was like, dude, I don't know. Like I can't, I can't commit. I didn't tell him yes on that call. And he's like, dude, you got to talk to Jared. <laughs> Jared, by the way, episode, I think like 14 or 15, also from one of the previous offers. So back to like the whole yeah. small world thing. So you talk to Jared. Because I had worked with Jared previously and he was now on yep. Cole's team. And I hop on with Jared. He's like, basically, dude, you got <laughs> to like, like step up to the plate and stop oh, being man. scared and like take it. So I call Brian up and he's like, dude, like, uh, <laughs> like dude, you know what? I'm going to take it. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, I'm all in. Let's do it come on board and like, I'm all excited. And I show up to that first meeting and like, I'm like shaking. Like I just saw like how dialed in these people are. And I feel like I'm on top of the world on this previous team. And it's like, whoa, I just went from feeling like the top dog to like, I'm just learning like how this space even operates. Like I put it into perspective so, so much. And part of that was really, really uncomfortable for me because I felt in fear in a lot of ways, but it was also really exciting because through this entire journey, I've always embraced when I feel like the mm-hmm. underdog and have to learn all my way to the top. And slowly over time, that turned into more and more excitement and confidence. And I love the intense pace. I love the intense culture and the amount of growth I experienced in the first year on the team with Cole probably equal or exceeded the growth that I experienced in the past three mm-hmm. to four years of building everything else I was doing. So it was crazy for sure, but like it was, it was also incredible at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I felt so connected to the offer because like remote closing is a thing that changed my life, right? It's the thing that got me to this point and being able to hop on the phone with people who go through all these experiences that I was going through and who needed this thing to be able to change their life. And I knew exactly what they needed and how they could get there. And if they were the right fits, like the alignment I felt to it was so, so, so yeah. high. The connection I had with the team was so, so, so high. The leadership that I saw here was absolutely incredible. And I just knew that like, this is a place that I'm going to be calling home for a very, very long time. And as somebody who sold multiple different offers and run multiple different companies and always felt this constant switch and change and evolution, it felt very, and it still does feel very calming and exciting to be part of an organization you just feel so deeply connected to. And you know, you're going to be able to be with Mm -hmm. for a long time. So, so over the past, like, you know, year, 18 months of, of kind of ramping into it and, and you said you like, you experienced a lot of growth. What were like maybe some of the, some of the things that you would maybe tell someone that is like, was in the same position where they're either just getting started with remote closing or they have been doing it for a while, but they are going to step to that next caliber team, whether they're like, Hey, I want to apply for RCA or I want to apply for Grant Cardone's team or I want to apply for Tony Robbins team. Like what are, what are some of the things that you would say to someone that is also in that same spot where you were, where like, you're kind of nervous. You're like, I'm going to be at the bottom of this team. But you know, what would you say to someone like that? Just to give them some encouragement. Some encouragement or reality? Both. Both. (laughs) I'd first say say strap in. It's like, if you want to play in the big leagues, like you got to be ready to play in the big leagues. 
And that was a reality check that I had to give myself. It's like, okay, if I'm going to go do this, like I got to, to do it. And it's going to come with stress. It's going to come with a lot of commitment. It's going to come with a lot of time. Like you have to grow into the kind of person that can perform at a different standard. It's like, hey, if you're going to be pulled up from Little League Baseball, the MLB, it's like those pitches are going to be coming in a lot faster and you're going to be ready mm-hmm. to be hit by them. And you got to be ready to hit it out of the freaking park. So like it's just really, really growing into the mindset of like embracing the discomfort. Because the reality is like everything that we want that we don't currently have in life naturally will exist outside of our comfort zone. That's why we don't have it. And we're also wired as humans to want to fight and fight and fight so hard to stay within our comfort zone. It's the biggest paradox of success. It's like you have to embrace doing things that suck and are uncomfortable and are scary in order to see the growth you want in life. So it's consciously committing to that, to leaning into that, to want to get your calls reviewed, to want to take very difficult criticism of your performance, to want to be called out on things that you're lacking on. And not taking that in a way of your ego being bruised, but in a way of seeing opportunities for growth and development. And then to be willing to do that very quickly, right? To not make the same mistakes twice, to take notes, to listen intently, to ask a lot of questions. And if you can really strap in and be commit to that and be go through a season where your head gets put down and you're just focused on that growth, then things can change very, very quickly. But the biggest piece of advice I would have is that like, you're just going to know that that's not going to be easy. But if you, I mean, this is one of the most cliche quotes, but one of my mentors told me this very early on and it's changed my life and it's shown up so many different ways. Like if you want to be on a 1% team, if you want to make a 1% amount of money, if you want to live a 1% lifestyle, like you have to be willing to go through and commit to and do things that 99% of people aren't willing to do. And that applies to sales teams. If you want to be on a top 1% team, you have to be able to embrace the things that 99% of sales reps aren't going to want to go through or deal with, who just want to be spoon-fed everything and take a commission check or a base pay and go home and turn on mm-hmm. the TV. What, um, what do you think specifically are, are some of the maybe struggles that you've went over over the past 18 months that you've had to work through being on like a high-performance team? Um, yeah, so for me, like the biggest thing I had to learn is emotional regulation. And building a different level of emotional maturity. And I think that's something that I struggled with particularly to be like very transparent because I was younger when I started the whole journey. Um, But like understanding how to deal with stress and fluctuations because like when you're in a high performance team, there's high standards and there's going to be variance in your performance over time, just naturally in any career that you pursue. And it's understanding like how to emotionally deal with those variances without freaking out and throwing yourself in a rut and a negative feedback loop and downward mm-hmm. spiral. It's knowing that you can show up every day doing exactly what you need to do to perform and get the results and maintain that same level of conviction and performance regardless of what the results are showing. The maturity of a closer is demonstrated their ability, demonstrated by their ability to do the same things over and over and over and over and over regardless of the result that they're seeing. And that, I think, for me was the biggest struggle. And I think for a lot of people getting in the space is honestly the biggest struggle. But when you can figure that out, you truly become a master of the craft. Mm-hmm. Like you're an unmovable force that can show up and treat yourself like an elite athlete and show up the right way day after day after day. And ironically, the variance that you see because of that becomes a lot lower. Your performance does become more consistent. And then when variance does happen, you push through it, mm-hmm. no problem. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, there's there's only 
so many scripts you can go through, right? But if you can really work on yourself internally and the things that you have to do to show up every single day, like that, it's what that's ultimately what's going to help out. It's not going to be a magic script or the way that you say something. Um, you recently ran, you ran, a, you recently ran a marathon, right? How was that? Yeah. that was <laughs> How long? The reason I well, number one, I'm curious. Number two, my brother just uh, signed up for a marathon, and he's been training for like the last six months. Um, but he just signed up in like March. So I'm, I'm just trying to like, give him some, some words of encouragement and things to expect. <laughs> yeah, man. So it was my second marathon. Nice. Um, and, uh, I smashed my goal time this time around. Like everything went extremely, extremely well. Uh, but I learned a lot through that. And to be honest, like I've talked about this before because the, the lessons that I learned through training for a marathon and physically going through that, um, and your diet and your training regimen, the amount of time. It should like those lessons have showed up in so many different ways inside of my sales career mm-hmm. as well, which is really cool. It's like the biggest thing is you just need to have a plan and you need to have commitment to execute it no matter what. Like you got to get your miles in, you got to get your nutrition in, you got to take care of your body. You have to treat yourself like an elite athlete to train for a marathon. You have to treat yourself like an elite athlete to perform in sales. Um, it's build a plan, find mentors who can help you know what you need to do and then just freaking do it no matter mm-hmm. what. That's it. Commitment. Yeah. So let's, um, let's just talk about really quickly as well. Like, so, well, I guess maybe even next steps, cause you came in as a remote closer. Now you're more like in leadership and, and stuff like that. So let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, a little bit. So that's sort of what the transition is, is been is getting more and more leadership roles and helping train other people and more coaching opportunities. Um, and that's been a really cool evolution and that's where I want to see myself continuing to progress. Cause like being able to teach other people these things and pass on these lessons has been a blast. But yeah, like if we look at the past four to six months of my life and my remote closing journey, like it has drastically changed now, um, in a lot of different ways. Like when I talked about going through all these different offers, it was constantly always focus and train and car reviews and perfect the craft and push myself harder every day. And it's gotten to a point where. Like I, I've reached a level of experience where that's not needed to the same degree and I can start focusing on some of these other things and also changing the way I live my life and really taking advantage of being a remote closer, which is what I've been doing. Like I, I'm in a different city every couple of weeks. That's why there's an airplane yeah. flying in the background. I'm just like, oh, be here. Um, and I've just been living out of my suitcase for the past five, six months, going to different cities. And what a lot of the coaching is like then is how do you bring on other closers and turn other people into high performers and particularly that's not always like hey this guy's an incredible closer like you need to fit him in this team that that doesn't work a lot of times and that's not what a lot of people look for and this will be helpful for people looking for other positions it's more about like how good of a culture fit is this person for our team and what is the potential we see for this person to be able to grow into you know i ask people like what do you think the number one variable uh, that somebody considers is for hiring a closer and they're always like experience 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 like no that's part of it but like what do you think experience can demonstrate to Mm -hmm. a company and the reality is they look for experience because they want to to use that as a a way to demonstrate somebody's ability to produce but i'm sure you would agree somebody's experience isn't always directly correlated to their ability to produce um so like what a lot of training and coaching is taking and finding the potential in people that have massive potential to produce and helping them then build the tangible skills to pull that out of them as opposed to like, you know, taking somebody that is a producer and like trying to adapt it to this industry. I don't know if that really makes sense, but 
Uh, that's what I've been focusing on doing quite a bit with coaching, especially with people going through RCA and coming mm-hmm. onto our team. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes sense. And even back to what you were saying a second ago of like, it's not, it's not always so much about like how great of a closer you are. Cause we've seen it so many times where like, there'll be someone that comes out really, really hot and then they let like, you know, other things get in the way, whether it's personal or, you know, health related. Well, it's kind of the same thing, but, um, it, it's so much more than just, Hey, can you like go through the script or are you a good closer type thing? So back to your, you know, the, yeah. the you said, okay, I want to have something that builds out or, or helps me attain these three things. Are you, do you feel like you're there? Like in terms of the time freedom, money freedom, that type of stuff? I'm there. I mean, I see your, I see your stories all the time and I see your new place. So you're, you're definitely getting the, the <laughs> location freedom one locked out. <laughs> um, but, yeah. but yeah, dude, so I, I guess like the last couple of minutes here, you know, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, you know, what are some, some things for, let, let's, let's say like closers specifically, cause we talked to Jared about the setter side, but for closers, like what are some things that they need to like someone that's already gone through RCA um, or they're, they're continuing to go through and they feel kind of like overwhelmed with all the content what would you say to like a new person learning remote sales? Like biggest piece of advice, if you can like nail it down to one. Oh, <laughs> Putting you on the spot. <laughs> um, okay. So the biggest thing I'd say in that case, it's like, oh, there's so much, like I'm overwhelmed. It's like, good. Like the biggest piece of advice I have for people going through this is like, we're always wired and, and framed and taught in life that like, that's a bad thing. And it's like, Oh, overwhelm is bad. And stress is bad. And being challenged is bad. And being out of your comfort zone is bad. Cause like, there's always this nat- natural resistance to it. So my biggest piece of advice to people get in this space in any space really is that those things that we always tend to complain about by default and almost like make internal excuses about by default are the very things that you need to embrace and take on purposefully and with intention it's like that's a good thing that you feel overwhelmed it's a good thing you feel like you had mm-hmm. a comfort zone because it's a sign that you're growing and you're pushing yourself to do something new it's like i'm at a point now where like if i'm too comfortable it's like oh geez like what's going on like, I need to go do something. <laughs> i'm not growing enough anymore right and it's mentally switching i talked about it earlier like it's hard because it goes against our default setting as people but like you need to understand that that's a good thing and you should embrace it. And it's good that you feel that way because there's no better way to feel that than when you're surrounded by a coaching staff and a, and a group of our, our, our company to be able to support you and train you and guide you through it and pick you up when you fall down and answer your questions and talk you through it when you do feel overwhelmed and surrounded by a community of people that are also going through all those same exact things with you with the same goal in mind. It's like, there's no better environment that you could be in to experience that. Cause the truth is like we, most people who do this and are in this space have big ambitions for life. Like they want to go far. They want to do a lot of really cool things. It's like, do you think you're going to run into these kinds of feelings again in the future? It's like, yeah. So when's a better time to experience all that than when you can be surrounded by a team and a community to guide you through it and learn how to deal with these things and turn it into growth and results, change your life. Mm-hmm. So that's not a very tactical thing at all, but like that would truly be my advice. And I feel like that's been the big indicator for me and how I've been able to push through all these years and finally figure it out. Uh, I asked the same question to Jared. I'm, I'm interested, or I really ask everyone, because you know, I think the being in the, in the day-to-day of remote sales or just sales in general, right? There's a lot of people on the outside that I think sales still gets like this negative, like, I don't want to be a salesperson or I don't want to blow up like that type of thing. Like it just feels kind of gross to people. So what would you say to someone that's like, that's listening to this, that they are kind of in that same mindset of like, I, 
this sounds interesting, but I just don't want to be a salesperson. Like what I'm sure you get a lot of people on your calls too, that are like, that have the same mindset. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, that's another one of the things that's kind of just the default way we think about a lot of things. It's not sales. Cause like sales isn't everything. Like nobody's saying that Amazon is slimy because they're doing sales on the internet selling products. So it's about the type of sales. Like when you can sell something that you genuinely believe in with every single bone in your body and you know that it's helping change people's lives. Like, is it, is it slimy to be a nurse or like a doctor and help somebody save their life and make change for the mm-hmm. better? It's like, no. Like it's not about sales necessarily. It's about like what's being sold and how it's being sold. And in the remote closing space, what's so different about it is that we work with companies that leverage their influence and audience and give people the opportunity to reach out to them. Like in the past four and a half, five years I've done this. You know how many cold calls I've done? Zero. Door knocks? Zero. Aunt calls to Aunt Susie? Zero. <laughs> like marketing? Yeah. Like I'm not here like convincing people to buy, right? This isn't a convincing space. The way I describe the remote closing industry versus traditional sales, traditional sales is transactional. Mm. It's like I'm convincing somebody to buy something and we're trading dollars for a product. The remote closing space is not transactional, it's transformational. It is not salesperson versus customer, like who's gonna win? Either I'm gonna close you or you're gonna get away. It's like, it's you guys coming on the same side of the table and working together to analyze what's the problem? What's the goal? Like, where are we trying to go? What do we wanna change? Can we help you get there? And there's calls where if you can't, then you hop off and you say, hey, this isn't going to be for you. Like, best of luck. Because guess what? You have somebody at the top of the hour waiting for you that you can genuinely help. So when you look at it from that perspective, like, it just can't be, it can't be perceived that way. And then when you get a call from somebody three months later that's saying, hey, dude, thank you so much for pushing me and not giving up on me and getting me into this program. My life has changed. I just quit my job. I'm taking my family on our first vacation in five mm-hmm. years. It's like, tell me how that's slimy. Mm-hmm. I agree. Whew. Got me. Let's go, baby. All right, dude. I, we're at the top of the hour. I really wanted to like go more in, into depth of like just sales stuff. I was like just having this crazy idea as, uh, as we're talking is um, I think I want to get like a ton of us from the team like one night or something and do just like an objection. Kind of was telling you about what we're going to do at the event. We just didn't have time. But it's like objection handling masterclass like once a month, maybe just like everyone get on a call and just like go crazy. Just talking about sales setting. Like, I think that'd be a lot of fun. And, and you know, a lot of people listening would um, would enjoy that. So on that note, I was going to go more to like some sales stuff, but we're going to have to save it for the next one. But I think we just, we covered a lot of really, really good stuff in this one. Um, so as I do like a quick like outro and that kind of stuff, just I want you to think about just what you, parting words, some of the last things you would say to someone that is either on the fence of jumping into remote closing or, you know, maybe they're in a specific place in life or maybe they were where you were, where they had a marketing agency, just something that you would tell them. So um, while you think about that, uh, for those of you that are listening, so we're, I mean, if you listen this far, we're 54 minutes in uh, or, you know, 50-ish minutes in and you probably are interested somewhat about remote closing, what it is. So um, whether you're watching on YouTube or or on the podcast down in the description, if you're on YouTube and in the show notes on the podcast app, um, there's going to be a link. It's going to bring you over to another page that just gives a little bit more of a breakdown of remote closing overall, what it is. Also, there'll be a different link. If you're at that point, you're like, Hey, I want to talk to like John. I want to talk to the team to learn how I can like really create an online online income uh, without having to start a business product or service. Click the links down there. It'll be very easy to find those um, and you can check it out. Again, no hard pressure sales or anything like that. Just an overall conversation of what we can do to help out if we can. Very least, you know, you walk away with some notes on a paper and, you know, at the most we can help you, you know, take the next steps and jump into remote closing. So all that being said, what you got? 
<laughs> yeah, man. So now that I got time, I have to give you an exactly. answer. Right? <laughs> um, so there's, there's a few things that I would say to somebody. So the first question is like, how bad do you want it? I think that a lot of the reason why most people don't really accomplish their goals, they just don't want it bad enough. It's like you have to have a relentless attitude to do whatever it's going to take to succeed. Flip the switch and break it. And then once you're willing to do that, you simply just need to find somebody who is where you want to be, who's doing the things that you want to be doing. You need to find a way to pay them for their time to teach you how to replicate it. And in my opinion, that's the biggest hack to life and success that exists. And if you're willing to do those two things, then there's zero excuse for failure, for not being able to change and building the future that you want. If you're willing to make the commitments required to get there and you're willing to find and invest in the mentorship that you need to learn and develop the skills, then that's it. Because if you possess the skills and you have the path to follow and you know exactly what you need to do to get there, then it's just a matter of executing. And if you're willing to execute, then on paper, like there's no way that things can't progress the way you want. Is that messy sometimes? Yeah. Does that take time sometimes? Yeah. Is that stressful sometimes? Yeah. But if you're willing to do whatever it's going to take, sometimes it happens in 45 days. Sometimes it takes a few months. Sometimes it takes a few years. But change isn't just about the next 30, 60 days, the next couple of years. Change is about where you want the rest of your life to progress to. And when you think big picture, then you're always going to be one to step up and do the right thing to progress and never what's easy and comfortable short term. That's what I got. Boom. We're going to end it on that, guys. So, John, I appreciate you so much for hanging out with us for the past hour. I think a lot of people will get a ton out of this one. And for those of you that are listening, again, once once again, description, show notes, links for you guys to check out. And um, subscribe here on the YouTube channel and also on the podcast as well to get updated when we have new episodes weekly. I don't think we've missed in like 20-something weeks. So I'm not going to miss for you guys. We're going to continue to upload and give you stories from people that are seeing success here on the RCA, uh, you know, from, from RCA as well as on the RCA team. So, See you guys the next one. Aaron here from the RCA Podcast. Talk to you guys soon. Peace.